The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, BeMoreAchievemore.com and CC1Consulting.com, and I'm delighted to be back with you uh, again for another week. And today we're going to talk about executive longevity and getting yourself and your business into shape. Now, I first saw my guest, Tim Bean, at speak at a conference in London in the spring, and I, quite frankly, uh, was really, really inspired, and, and that speech helped me to decide to make a really serious commitment to my health. And this has also been combined with further reading later. And I, I also came across a book called Younger Next Year by Chris Crowley, who will be my guest on the 12th of September. So it will be a nice kind of part two uh, for this show. Um, and as a consequence, I managed about nine hours of running during a recent two-week holiday, um, plus sort of exercising. And I have to say, I've got some really wonderful memories of that holiday now, of running, getting up early in the morning and not seeing a soul and, um, and running around uh, peninsulas in Cornwall and Devon in the UK. I think also maybe for me it's uh, it's partly the fact that I've just recently turned 46 and I'm thinking, you know, if I don't um, get, keep myself in good shape, the future could actually be, you know, not as rosy or, um, as it could be if I, I take my um, my health and fitness very serious right now. You know, I want to be rowing, cycling and running uphills in my own old age and I want to be working to a ripe old age as well. But exercising and getting into shape is something that many of us just put off until tomorrow. If we start, and there's a risk for me, uh, is that we slip back into our old ways of behavior, like uh, those comfortable pair of shoes that you've probably got sitting in the, in the closet. But if you ever stop to really think about how your health could be um, affecting your business, then I think that's quite a helpful thing to do right now. You know, your later career or retirement could be, if you don't act, um, spent recovering from aches and pains and surgeries and things like that. I've also recently been inspired by um, the, the Commonwealth Games, and there was um, Stephen Way who um, smoked uh, 33, sorry, smoked um, at the age of 33 about 20 cigarettes a day. He was 16 stone, and he decided to start running, and, and at 40 he finished 10th in the Commonwealth Games marathon in Scotland with a personal best and a, a British veterans record. So who knows what potential lies within us. My guest today is Tim Bean. He's a leading longevity specialist. He's a transformational after-dinner speaker and the co-founder of the Institute of Physical Man- Physique Management, a private practice that takes individuals, prominent business people, and celebrities through customized physique, weight lo- loss, lifestyle, and wellness management programs via a system that he has called the Hard Edge. 
I'm delighted to have him on the show to explain the importance of fitness for business success and share with us some of the fantastic ideas about how to get your mind, body, and business into better shape. But um, before we start, um, I'd just like to uh, say I also found a very interesting fact out about Tim in that Tim actually has the world record for eating the most amount of Weetabix in 40 minutes. So, uh, Tim, maybe you could start by um, explaining that and, uh, and how somebody who... Uh, who sees health and fitness as being so important, decided to eat so many. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'd love to do that, Chris. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here today. And uh, hello to you folks. Yes, it was, um, it was at a time when uh, we were in the health and fitness industry from the health club side of things. So we had a number of health clubs back in New Zealand. And it was put to us uh, as a fundraising event to raise money for a charity. And I thought, well, you know, eating as many Weet-Bix as you can, you get a free breakfast out of it, right? So um, piled into that one, ended up eating 42 Weet-Bix with two and a half liters of milk in 40 minutes, uh, which was uh, which was quite a feat. I need just to say, I certainly didn't feel like having bacon and eggs for breakfast after that lot. <laughs> so you actually ate 21 free breakfasts? Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> That's, in, that's incredible. So, yeah, Tim, maybe what you could do is um, you know, tell us a bit about your life and, and mm. why you know, getting yourself and, and business into shape has become you know, such a passion and, and also your expertise. Well, we've been in the industry for a number of years now, Chris, and it started off being a fitness industry. And then towards the mid-90s, it became uh, more about health. Uh, and then in the early uh, parts of the, the century, it was more the conversation about wellness. Well, people are starting to turn their minds to what's the point of all that. It's great to have your health and your wellness, but uh, ultimately we're leading to longevity. In other words, how you can maintain great shape but for longer. And so this is what we're really passionate about teaching uh, and encouraging people to start thinking about a little bit differently. But it wasn't always that way. At the age of 25, uh, I used to be incredibly fat and, uh, and my health was in really bad shape. In fact, I, I went from medical to the doctor and uh, he, he turned me down. He, he said, you've failed the medical. I think my cholesterol level was something up uh, about 9.7, which I think in US ways is over 300. Uh, it was dreadfully high. My blood pressure was 150 over 110. Uh, and according to the body mass index scale, I rated as morbidly obese. Uh, so the doctor was very, very concerned. Also in the family history, there was diabetes and heart disease and those sorts of things. And he kind of said, look, are you, are you mad? You're, you're not going to make it to your 30th birthday. So despite putting, putting weight on up until that point and, and uh, you know, my wife giving me caution about putting on weight and, and being concerned about that, I hadn't really paid much attention until the doctor actually said, you are not going to live for very much longer. And that was really the turning point for me. So that's when I started going on, uh, I guess, well, the first thing I did was I wanted to lose the weight. I went on a diet. Now, there's many, many diets uh, around, and I have to tell you I've probably been on every diet under the sun. Uh, and that in itself could all, was almost a problem because I'd go on these diets and I'd lose a lot of weight. And then at the end of the diets, uh, I'd, I'd end up putting the weight back on again, uh, principally because I would always go back to what it was that I was doing before that, that made me overweight in the first place. So that strategy wasn't working particularly well. Uh, there's probably only one exception to that rule, uh, and that was a, a thing called the straw diet. 
Now, at the time I was doing all these diets, I had a, I had a dieting buddy, as, as many of your listeners probably have had in the past, where you do the diets together just for, for moral support and, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and he was an Australian gentleman named Aussie Rob. Uh, and uh, Aussie Rob and I used to do these diets together, and he rang me up one day and he says, oh, Tim, he says, I've got this great diet I think we should do. It's called the straw diet. And I said, oh, no, not a straw diet. Does that mean, you know, we've got to eat hay and oats and straw? Like, why don't they just call it the horse diet and be done with it, you know? <laughs> he says, no, nah. he says, no, 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 mate. He says, you're not listening. He said, you're going to love this because there's only one rule. And the rule is you can eat anything you like on this diet as long as you can suck it up through a straw. <laughs> and I started thinking, oh, dear, what have we got? We've got water, uh, diet shakes, or really, really thin soup. I, this diet isn't going to last very long. And Rob said to me, he says, no, mate, he says, you don't get it. He said, there's nothing in the rule that says what size the straw has to be. And, I mean, if you think about it, and as Aussie Rob and I found out, there's not much you can't get up through the end of a didgeridoo if you're really working hard <laughs> on the end. I mean, burgers, pies, fries, shakes. Uh, you, can, you can get a Sunday three-course roast meal up through one of those things. The worst diet I ever went on in four weeks, I think I put on 20 pounds. Uh, and that's when I decided, you know what, this, this isn't working so well and started thinking, okay, there's got to be, be more to it than this. It, it requires a higher level of thinking. And that's when I started digging into the science behind how our energy systems work, how our energy systems relate to the food that we eat as a fuel and different types of fuel. Therefore, started to learn how to control that much better and also learned a lot about physiology in terms of you know, how to control and build a great metabolism, how to build yourself to the point where you know, you, 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 weight gain isn't a problem because you know, you're managing your diet well, you're getting all the nutrients that you need and the body is, is in a fit state where it's processing all that energy uh, very, very effectively. Yeah, it's, it, yeah. actually, what, what you've articulated there is you probably—it's probably not a better subject really to study, is there? Because in terms of your your life is you know, related partly to mm. your health and how you're feeling. So, do you, do you think we should all develop some expertise in this? Well, I, I think so. And some people say, you know, when it comes particularly uh, to weight loss, and let's understand that if you're overweight or particularly over fat. Uh, that can be a medical problem in itself, but typically that's a symptom. It's, it's not a root cause. All it means is there are things you are doing that are not allowing your physique to be in its optimal state. So, but losing weight is, is a key uh, criteria and a benchmark that people use. Uh, and losing weight, some people say, isn't rocket science. It's like, you know, well, you know, move, move around more and eat less. You know, shut your mouth and move your legs. How hard, how hard can that be, right? Um, but our view is, after many, many years of studying this, that it is rocket science. I mean, the human body, the human physiology is one of the most incredibly complex, yet at the same time, marvelously capable bioorganisms on the planet. And we all know because we all have one. You know, we, we have one of these human bodies that we've been given charge of and we have possession of. Um, but let's understand something very, very clearly, that, that rocket science isn't difficult for a rocket scientist. Uh, and just the same way that flying a jumbo jet isn't difficult for a jumbo jet pilot. Here's my view. Being a human being shouldn't be difficult for a human being. Okay, it's our responsibility to figure out how we work, the basics of how to maintain and look after ourselves. And for that, you do have to do a little bit of study. You have to dig in and find out the truth 
about how your energy systems work, how your body works when you're exercising, what's in your food, how the body responds to those foods, the difference between nutrient-dense foods, in other words, foods that are packed full of vitamins, nutrients, and minerals, and nutrient-dead foods. Those are the foods that have been processed and, and, and heated and beaten and treated to within an inch of their life until there's nothing left, and, and how the body is supposed to respond, respond to that in the environment that we have today. And so it is science, but I think we have an obligation as stewardship of our own bodies to investigate and be discriminatory about the information that we're exposed to and figure out what we need to do as individuals to look after ourselves the best. And that may not be the same thing, the same uh, routine that our twin brother or twin sister might do because this is not a genetic thing. This is about our environment, how we respond in our environment and the choices we make in that environment. I was reading this week that out of 1.3 million health um, service workers in the UK, that mm. 700,000 of them are deemed or have been estimated to be overweight. And uh, the, the head of the health service at the moment is trying to motivate them to get into shape. Um, so you know, do, do you think that's a consequence of the environment that they work in, that um, they're not in good shape? And you know, what do you think the impacts of that are for you know, the service that they're able to provide? Well, I think this is this is an interesting statistic that over half of the working population are deemed to be overweight. Now, now there's two things going on there. That definition of overweight could be based on the body mass index scale. So if you have somebody who's actually pretty fit and in pretty good shape, the body mass index scale may rate them as overweight because they're their muscle or their lean mass to fat percentage may reflect poorly against the body mass index scale, which measures height to weight. Um, second thing that I'm curious about is, is these are health service workers uh, in the UK. So as health professionals, the fact that they're overweight sends out alarm bells to me because of all people, these, these are the people who we should be looking to for leadership in staying healthy. And being overweight is not a healthy state. Uh, certainly compared to people who are of optimal weight. In other words, they have a healthy uh, lean mass to body fat ratio. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is you have to also understand that many, many people in, in work and in business and in jobs and occupations today are in a work situation that's very, very different than it was eight or ten years ago. Uh, I think the, the, the uh, nature and the landscape of business has changed in very recent years. Business has certainly got tougher rather than easier. A lot of companies have downsized their workforces and their key talents, so there's greater workload falling on fewer shoulders. Uh, and you know, none of us are getting any younger. So instead of uh, getting younger and stronger and fitter and more agile, we seem to be getting older, slower, sicker, fatter and weaker. Uh, and that's creating a huge gap between the expectations of our occupations and what, and what we do in daily life, even if that occupation is a homemaker or being a great mum or being a great dad, and our ability to continue to deliver it in this environment. So that's creating a lot of stress and people are under a lot of pressure. Now, it's quite simple that people who are in better shape, in other words, the greater shape you can be in, the more resilient you will be to stress. In other words, you will have more energy. You will be sleeping much better. You will have better recovery. You'll have better mental acuity. You'll be less fatigued uh, and less prone to illness and also uh, to depression. Now, if you translate that into a business, for a business these days to survive, it needs to be strong. It needs to be agile, resilient, efficient with its internal systems. It needs to be lean and it needs to be energized. So, so wouldn't it be great if the people running it were the same? So I think you know, we have a problem, things are stressful, but now is the time more than any 
that we need to be more aware of how to look after our people better at. But crucially, because we're in charge of our own bodies, how we should be looking after ourselves better. And I think that's a key point. It's about self-responsibility uh, and accountability. Yeah, yeah. It sort of feel, feels to me like, you know, a almost a second um, role that we have in life, and it may be that it's our, our first role, is to is to invest some time to keep ourselves fit and healthy. Um, otherwise, everything else suffers, isn't it? I, I totally agree. And, and it's also about priorities. And one key thing that I learned about myself at the time when I was seriously overweight was uh, a comment that one of my best friends said to me at the time. He said, you know, Tim, you should just stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about other people around you. And uh, he had a point. Um, once I started thinking about the people who were around me, who loved me and depended on me to be there for them for various things, you know, as a, as a father, as, a, as an income earner, as a friend, uh, um, whatever role that I played in other people's lives, you know, it's, it's important that you're, you're part of that. And once I started thinking more about other people and less about myself, it shifted the framework and shifted the map and gave me more motivation and a sense of responsibility that I had to do something about it. Uh, if I was going to going to continue to be here and be fit and strong and active uh, as I age. And, and I'm so, so glad that I did. You know, we have, we've got three children back in New Zealand. They're grown up now. We've got six wonderful grandchildren as well, uh, of whom I'm immensely proud and I love them all to bits. And I wouldn't trade those years for all the money in the world. You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's just a completely different motivation once you start thinking of the people around you instead of being so self-centered. But here's the thing. A lot of people think that if they start devoting time to themselves, in other words, making sure they're getting the right food uh, and they're getting the right sleep and they're getting the exercise and putting the time aside for themselves to invest in themselves, they think that's really, really selfish. But if you start thinking that if you don't and you're not going to be around for the people who need you, what most people think is a very selfish thing can become the most selfless thing that you can do. Mm. And that's a wonderful piece of reframing and I think the perfect way to uh, go into commercial break, let people have a couple of minutes to digest that and think about that. And then after the break, we'll, we'll start to look at some, uh, some of the key lessons that um, Tim has learned and uh, things we really need to start to, to think about. So we're back with you again in just a couple of minutes. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. 
Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Tim Bean, and we're talking about executive longevity. Uh, now, Tim, I know that um, from our conversations, uh, you have some hard-edged rules that you've uh, you know, identified from you know, all the work you've done with yourself and with working with executives when it comes to you know, the likes of health and longevity. So do you want to share those with us? <laughs> yes, of course. The, the famous or rather the infamous hard-edged rules. Now, these are, these are side rules or guidelines or principles uh, that we've discovered work really well to sort of live live your life and, and your working life by. Um, but some of the most important ones may seem to be some of the most obvious ones. And one that I've certainly learned from working with a lot of individuals in business, whether they're self-employed, whether they're working in a business or they're leading a business, uh, and they're struggling with keeping in good shape. And, and some of this principle works in a business structure as well. But I'm using it as an application to your personal health and well-being is this. You can't have a lean body and a fat head. Okay, you can't have a lean body and a fat head. In other words, at a personal level for me, I was always going to struggle with, with losing weight, putting it on, losing weight, putting it on. As long as in my head, I was still thinking like an overweight, unhealthy guy. In other words, still wanting those tastes, still craving those tastes that, was, that were making me out of shape and unhealthy in the first place. And once I started turning that around and started thinking like a lean, fit, athletic person that I really wanted to be, that's when I started looking around thinking, okay, so if I want the physique of an athlete, what are these people doing that's keeping them in shape? Are these the sort of people who are going up for second and third helpings at the buffet? Probably not. <laughs> are these the sort of people who were lying around in bed watching morning and daytime TV on a weekday? Well, no, probably not. They're going to be out there doing a run, doing a workout, those sorts of things. And as soon as I started thinking differently and started thinking lean and thinking fit and thinking like an athlete, the decisions that allowed me to do that were almost effortless, whereas previously I had really struggled just to get, to get in that space. And I used to say, I've got no motivation, but it wasn't motivation. It's simply the framework. I also discovered along that route, of course, that fad diets don't work, but they do work if weight loss is your goal. Fad diets will cut the weight off you really fast. But in doing so, we're not discriminating between weight loss and fat loss. Because if you lose a lot of weight, and a lot of that is water, and some of that is muscle as well, you will lose damage and destroy your metabolic capacity to burn calories effectively. So when you go back to what it was that you were eating before, that weight is going to come on faster than ever before, and maybe even more than you had than ever before. 
So that's the problem. Fad diets always work. The third thing is when it comes to your health, the hard edge rule is this. You have to be committed. Okay, You cannot have one foot on the platform and one on the train because you know how that's going to play out. Okay, So you have to decide, are you going to adopt a healthier lifestyle or are you not? This is your health we're talking about. This is not something that you can play around and dance around at. You have to think, am I going to be committed to eating a higher level of nutrition and supporting my body better with vitamins, nutrients, and minerals, all the things that it needs to keep it alive and functioning and in a great state for longer so that I can fight the traditional aging concept that people have and be around for the people uh, uh, that need me to be around. But also I'd like to introduce a, a fourth a fourth hard edge rule that I think is really, uh, really important. Uh, Ages ago, we worked in motor racing. So we were working with some drivers in the British Touring Car Championships. Now, these are saloon car champions, uh, championship series. And we were brought along as driver performance specialists. So our job was to bring the drivers up to the optimal state of performance for their for race day on the track. Uh, and I remember the first time I went, uh, we were working for Team RAC, which was run by West Surrey Racing. And I remember very clearly going to their huge workshop and discussing with their race director the whole uh, infrastructure behind race day. And in talking to that, it became very, very clear that the investment in putting a car on the track is very, very heavy. I mean, it costs in excess of 35,000 pounds. That's about $60,000 to put a race car on the track every weekend that it's out there. And they, these guys were running three cars every weekend. Not only that, but they have the infrastructure of the support teams, the crews, the, the uh, uh, client um, uh, the client entertainment, you know, the big race trucks, everything was there. Everything was calculated to the last detail, including the fuel that was going to be used was weighed down to the last ounce. And yet when we looked at it, there was no, or little or no expectation uh, of what was put into driver performance. In other words, everything was invested in the car, on the track, on the race day, and it was expected the driver would just turn up in great condition. But what if the, the driver the night before had had a bad curry? What if he'd had a bad night's sleep? What if he'd had an argument with his wife before he left uh, to come to the racetrack this morning and his head wasn't in the game? When man or woman and machine become one and go out on the racetrack, the total capacity for performance will depend on the lowest denominator. So it doesn't matter how much you're investing in the car. If the driver's not up to the job, the level of performance will be limited by the driver's capacity. And the reverse would happen the same. If you had a great, like a Formula One racing driver, and you put him out on the track in a beat-up old car uh, that hadn't been maintained well, he's not going to get past the first corner. It doesn't matter how great a driver he is. And yet we see the same thing in business every day. The hard-edge rule is this. Your total capacity for performance will depend on the lowest denominator. Now, we know that the climate has changed, the way we do business today has changed, and most of what we do in business today happens from the neck up. In other words, it all happens in our brains. We rely totally on our mental acuity, mental ability, our energy, our knowledge, uh, our intuition, all those sorts of things to be able to perform in the jobs and the work that we do. And yet people forget we are connected at the neck to the rest of our body. Your brain is another organ exactly the same as your heart, liver, lungs, kidneys, skin, stomach, all those. Now, if you're not investing or if you're investing a low level of, of care into the rest of your body, don't expect your brain to last much longer either. I mean, there's a, there's a really good study run that was published in the American Academy of Neurology a couple of years ago. They did a study of 4,500 men and they discovered that 
of all these men who were of normal weight. Some of them had a big belly and some didn't. The guys that had a big belly at the age of 50 were three times more likely to get dementia by the time they were 70 than the guys that didn't. And that's really significant. When we rely totally on everything that goes on from the neck up, it behoves us to take much better care of everything from the neck down. Tim, do you, do you want to, um, what, what does that mean in terms of kind of inches around your waist? Or, or centimeters well, or whatever? What, well, for you, men, you... Some sort of guide, you know? Well, the measurement for waist is very, very simple. Uh, you get a tape measure and put it around high up in the waist. So the tape measure should be about an inch above the navel or the tummy button. Uh, and on the back, it should be above the hips at the narrowest point of the back. And that's where you wrap the tape measure around. Men, you should be under 38 inches around that measurement to get into the... Uh, to, or to get out of the danger zone. Women, you need to be under 30 inches to get out of the danger zone. And it's not just dementia, it's other lifestyle diseases as well that we're talking about. Uh, so, so those are the key measurements. So if you've got a tape measure, put them around, see where your waist is, and use that as a benchmark. Rather than using body mass index or those calculations, waist circumference has much more import and much more meaning when it comes to getting yourself in shape and getting healthier. Thanks. That's that's really really helpful. And so I think what you're saying there, if if someone's got a you, that car analogy, is that if somebody's you know people have got a business, mm-hmm. often um, they we put so much focus on the business, but actually the the brain that's driving it sometimes doesn't you know, doesn't have that same level of focus, and the lowest common denominator is where it, it makes a difference for the performance. Absolutely, and we've seen this with uh, particularly with corporate and business wellness programs where you'll get an executive team will get together or a leadership team, management team will get together and say, you know what, we'd be really great if we had a healthier workforce. So let's put in place a program where we can get them, you know, more energized and fitter and, you know, snacking less on high sugar, high fat snacks and and, and eating healthier foods and those sorts of things. But listen, if the management team, if the head of that organization isn't doing that and leading that charge, you're going to have an awfully tough job convincing the rest of the business that it's a good idea because, your behaviours and, and how you demonstrate those behaviours <clears throat> are a key indicator of your belief in what it is that you're telling people. Yeah, fabulous. So I've got a number of areas that I want to explore with you because you've got some great uh, you've got some great insight and wisdom and, into these. So I'm going mm-hmm. to go through some of these fairly fairly quickly. I'd love to hear some of your your tips and opinions on on how to do this. So the first one I want to ask you is how can you begin to reverse the aging process? How do you start? Well, we're, we're very much in the space of, of anti-aging. We go to, uh, and I get invited to speak at a great number of medical conferences all around the world. And so the conversation is more shifting towards how people can look after themselves better so that we can live to 80, 90, 100, 110 years of age, a full, active and healthy lifestyle. Because there's a difference between being alive at 100 years of age and being kept alive at 100 years of age. And if you're still out there, you know, mountain biking and trekking and climbing and water skiing and doing all those things that you want to do when you're of that age, I mean, that's, people are are afraid of getting old because they're associating age with sickness, illness, disease and disability. But it doesn't have to happen that way because uh, in most cases, most of the symptoms that we associate with aging actually nothing to do with getting older but are everything to do with how we look after ourselves and the shape that we maintain ourselves in for the years that we have. I look a little bit like the aging process is standing on a down escalator. Uh, And what happens is we're all standing on this escalator, heading down at the same pace, 
And as we get closer towards the bottom, which is towards the end of our lifespan, all the nuts and bolts that hold us together start falling off until we, you know, we reach the bottom and it's the end and that's the finish. However, if most of the things that we, we, we uh, know are aging us fast are to do with lifestyle factors, then surely there's some things that we can do to turn that around because certainly there are some people, and you may know some of them, who when it comes to lifestyle factors aren't just standing on the escalator but they're walking down towards the bottom faster than anybody else. Yes. And it's amazing to me to consider that, that some people seem to think that you can win the human race by finishing first. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You win the human race by finishing last. Mm. The prize goes out to people who are still doing laps when everybody else has had to call it a day and come in. So if you're standing on that escalator and you can turn around and start metaphorically walking back up the escalator by changing the way you do, living your lifestyle, doing a few little things that will make the difference, you are going to be turning back the age clock. You will be physically, physiologically getting younger as you age instead of older like everybody else. And it is possible to do. How do we know this? Because there are people doing it already, uh, already, doing, that, already doing that today. So let's start talking about how we can walk back up the escalator. And uh, first thing I'm going to talk about, um, it, I know you said that posture is really important. Do you want to just share? Well, I'm glad you highlighted that, Chris, because posture is probably one of the most obvious symptoms or signals that people are getting. I mean, how do you tell that somebody's old? Typically, you look at them and you think, well, because they, you know, their posture's collapsed and they, they can't move around freely and they shuffle rather than walk and those sorts of things. Posture is so important. I mean, it even affects the way we breathe. So, I mean, just, just, just consider this. As you're sitting there listening to the show, what I want you to do is just pretend this is an acting class for a minute and I'm your acting tutor. And what I want to do is I'm going to ask you, uh, when I say go on the command, is to assume the physical characteristics of someone who is old and slow and tired, fatigued and weak. Go. Now, Hopefully, most people change the position that they are currently in. <laughs> You'll probably find that you've gone into a like a slouch. Your shoulders are forward. Your body's your body starts forward. Hold that position there just for a second and take a deep, deep breath in. Go on. Now, do you notice you can only get about halfway in and you can't breathe in anymore? So you, when your posture collapses, you cannot even draw a full lung full of air. So how are you supposed to oxygenate your blood, get oxygen to the body? I mean, that's just one little thing. It also affects your agility, your mobility, the way you get in and out of chairs, up and down stairs, in and out of a car, carry your groceries, all those sorts of things. And when those postural muscles uh, start to collapse and become weak, as often happens when we spend a lot of our time sitting uh, behind a desk or in an aircraft or, or at a boardroom table or wherever it is or at a workstation, uh, and our postural muscles start to collapse, we're starting to undo the nuts and bolts that are holding ourselves in an upright, strong, confident, energized position. So if you were to suddenly now just sit up straight and you pull the shoulders back and lift the chest up and take a deep breath in, your body is now in a highly energized position, and that's the position we should all be in. However, it's really difficult to hold that all day long. You need to be strong to be able to do that. You need to train your postural muscles. You need to deliberately target them and come up with a, with a strategy that's going to make them stronger rather than allowing them uh, to become weaker. And you can, you can reverse that, can you? If, if your postural muscles are starting to collapse, you can do exercise, target it, and you can... Oh, cer certainly, if it's starting to happen and you're starting to notice those differences, very, very easy to correct. Obviously, the greater the damage and the longer that's been in place, the harder it is to correct because the skeleton can reset itself into position and the, the tissues around that can become very sort of uh, uh, tough 
and difficult to difficult to change. But certainly, you know, anybody at any age can make some improvement. The oldest person who joined our health club back in New Zealand was 97 when he joined the health club, young Eric. Yes. Uh, and and the change that we saw in him and all his whole program was we're just simply lifting weights. I mean, it's... That's the one thing that he did. He just got stronger. He improved his mobility, the joint mobility, joint strength. You know, within six months, he was walking without a frame. There's no age at which you can't make some improvement on this. Fantastic. Now, I, I talked earlier about you know, my running and aerobic mm-hmm. exercise, and you mentioned there about, about weights. And I think most people, we've only got three minutes to commercial break now, but I think most people see the importance of getting out and maybe maybe running, walking, um, Cycling, those sorts of things, but it, you you um, really do uh, stress the importance of uh, of lifting weights. Do you want to talk about that and how we can well, start to build that into a routine? Absolutely, I'd love to talk about that just for a second before we break. Um, lifting weights or, or getting stronger is one of the most important things you can do to prevent the aging process. And certainly, if you're in any sort of occupation today where you're sitting for long periods of time, it's the most important thing you should consider doing. Because strong people stay young, strong people stay mobile, and strong people stay in great shape, even if we're talking about, you know, the base metabolism that you have. Our hard edge rule for this one is a good one. Listen to this, the hard edge rule for this. Build before you burn. So get strong, build metabolism, build joint strength before you start going out there burning a lot of calories. And guess what? Because you've built a greater metabolism and have better strength, you'll be less prone to injuries and you'll have a greater metabolic capacity. So when you're out there burning fat and doing general activities, playing tennis, running, cycling, all those things that you want to do, you're burning more calories, you're burning more fat specifically as well. Strong people stay young. I mean, that's, that's the truth of it. Frailty will rob you of your youth. I think statistically, it's, it's uh, certainly in the UK, 50% or more of people who go into care homes or old folks' homes, there's nothing medically wrong with them, but they are frail. And that's where, you know, they, they just they need to be in a supervised environment because they can't be trusted to walk from the living room to the kitchen without tripping over because, you know, sometimes if there's a trip, there's a fall, there's a break, it could even be a death. So strong people stay young, they stay fit, they stay agile. And I think if you're going to start anywhere, get strong. Build before you burn. Excellent. So you, you would, I would explain I was going out running a lot. Are you saying that I should be actually doing weights first? Certainly do weights first. If you're doing a workout at the same time, do some strength type exercise. Now, it doesn't mean you have to lift up heavy dumbbells or lift heavy barbells. You know, doing exercises like walking dumbbells, dips, press-ups, uh, lunges, squats, all those sorts of things are strength-based exercise. They're muscle-building exercises. Anybody can do those at any time. The best time to do that would be before you do your run uh, because then you'll convert into fat-burning much faster and have a much better time. And over a period of time, you'll become more and more metabolic, but also, crucially, your joints will be protected for that activity. Excellent. Really, really helpful. So we're, um, we're going to go into our, our second uh, commercial break and we'll start to move into uh, things like healthy eating um, well, we'll move into healthy eating <laughs> after the break. So um, I will be with you in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, 
facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Tim Beam. We're talking about executive longevity. Tim, before we start talking about healthy eating, there's a question that just popped up in my mind, which you know, people might be listening. I've uh, started training recently. One of the reasons, as another reason is that I've, uh, I've had a, you know, a couple of incidents of a, of a slightly uh, painful back and kind of locking up. So I'm mindful that I need to... You know, build some strength around that, so I don't have that problem again. But you know, maybe people listening thinking I've uh, you know I've got a problem with my leg, I've got a problem with my back, or and are holding back exercising and doing this sort of thing. Any thoughts on that? Oh, oh yes, you need to have a very sensible approach to that. Any injury at all, whether it's an ankle, knee, hip, back, shoulder, uh, whatever it might be, um, it's important you get that checked out professionally first. So, seen a physiotherapist, seen a chiropractic uh, uh, specialist to get a, an accurate diagnosis on what the problem is. Uh, and sometimes your first visit to your GP or a medical practitioner it will signpost you in the right direction to who you need to go and see. But until you know exactly what the problem is, it's very difficult to come up with any sort of strategy to fix it. If it's just an ache, and, an ache or a pain that's pretty minor, uh, then probably the indication is that something you're doing which is aggravating that. So the first thing to do is, is to pull back on doing that and then start looking at how you can make that joint stronger, how you can better protect your back and, and make sure it's held in the correct position so that you're not getting uh, so you're not getting that pain coming through. So the first thing is get an accurate diagnosis, get a medical opinion on, on what the problem is, and then get professional opinion on what to do about it. And I guess if it's a serious injury, the first place you should probably go is to, uh, 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 is to a health club and talk to uh, a personal trainer who's qualified in rehabilitation. Uh, and get some advice from them as to what exercises you can do. And it doesn't have to be gym exercises. You know, these could be exercises you could do at home. Uh, you could do with uh, one of those elast- elasticated bungee cords. Uh, there's various pieces of equipment, you know, a foam roller if you've got really tight um, uh, iliotibial band on your leg or whatever might the, the problem might be. 
excellent. Very helpful. Good uh, advice there. Um, so let's go into healthy eating. Uh, what are your recommendations about uh, eating? Well, we get asked this an awful lot, and people say, uh, or people do ask us, and they say, well, of a percentage, what do you need to work hardest on, exercise or nutrition? What's the percentage? Is it 50-50, 60-40, whatever? Here's our view on this. Um, in my experience, no one has ever got into great shape by how they eat. No one has ever got into great shape by how they eat. However, uh, people get into great shape by how they exercise and train. That's what builds the physique into a great shape. Having said that, doesn't matter what you're doing to build a great shape, if that's not supported 100% by nutrition, you are not going to get the result you're looking for. It's as simple as that. So I guess it's kind of 50-50 and, you, and one needs to support the other. They can't exist separately. You need to have a nutrition program that matches your exercise and an exercise program that matches your nutrition. Now, in putting that, uh, in putting that whole thing together, it's important to understand uh, that uh, in, in, in addressing those issues separately, you're going to create problems. And that's the whole uh, ethos of the diet industry. People go on a diet and they're not addressing what they're doing with exercise. And that's a huge, uh, a huge, huge failing. How you eat and when you eat and what you eat is so, so important if you're supporting that with exercise. I think it starts with exercise and you support that with nutrition. So then the next question is, so what do I eat? How much do I eat? Uh, and many, many people think that... Um, they can run effectively right through their working day on little or no sensible or energizing fuel. I know so many people who get up in the morning, they have a croissant, they have a pastry, a danish, they have a cup of coffee, and they leap into their working day. They might have a piece of chicken and a salad for lunch if they're watching the health. Otherwise, it could be any, any one of a vast range of less healthy options. They don't eat anything in the mid-afternoon, they get home in the evening and they wonder why they're so famished, why they're so hungry. And so it's really, really difficult to fight hunger. They eat a big dinner and, 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 and a dinner could include the calories that people drink uh, as well. And more and more frequently we're seeing people drinking inordinate amounts of alcohol that's appropriate for their, for their bodies in the evening time. So then they're going to bed uh, like 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night with an extra 12,000 calories on board, the body doesn't know what to do with it except put it into storage. So here's our view on this. Uh, breakfast, actually breakfast may not be the most important meal of the day. I think the most important meal of the day is the one that nobody ever has and that's at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Because if you do prioritize getting a good breakfast, that's important. It's important that you have something maybe in the mid-morning, piece of fruit, something to get you through, and a decent lunch, something with protein, something with some starchy carbs, some fibrous carbs in there as well. But you cannot expect your body to run from 1 o'clock in the afternoon through to 8 o'clock in the evening when you get home or 6 o'clock even in the evening when you get home to have your dinner just on that amount of fuel. You'll run out of fuel at about 3.30, 4 o'clock, and yet your requirements for brain function, for metabolism, all those sorts of things are still the same. So I think the most important meal of the day is the one you have in the mid-afternoon. We say to our clients, you know, uh, don't, don't snack in between meals. Have a meal between meals because your body requirements are still the same. And guess what? If you do have that 4 o'clock or even 4.30 meal, you'll go home less hungry. You won't feel like overeating the calories, overdrinking those calories. You'll be quite happy just topping up and going to bed much lighter in the stomach and much lighter on your calorie load as well. And what would be an example of a 4 to 4.30 meal? Because uh, you know, you do, you, well, I guess what you're not advocating is that you have you know, five, uh, uh, five sizable meals a day. Exactly. We, we tend to load calories at the start of the day. So if you're going to eat heavier foods, heavier starchy carbs like uh, porridge oatmeal, those sorts of things uh, for breakfast, that's the time to have that. 
you still need some starchy carbs. In other words, things like if you're having a, a, a wrap uh, for lunch or chicken salad, it could have a wrap, it could have starchy carbs like beans, lentils, those sorts of things in there. Uh, it could be bread if you're having a sandwich. Do you know what? I'm not a huge fan of bread. I think there are better sources of nutrition if you're looking for highly energizing foods to get you through the day. But even things like you know uh, wholemeal or brown rice sushi, that's not a bad idea. So in the mid-afternoon, you could have something in cold weather. You could have a hearty, a hearty bowl of three bean soup or something like that. You could have a small tray of sushi. You could have a banana and an apple, for example. It's going to get you through to that, uh, through that evening meal spot. And it's not difficult to take food to work, to have food from the evening before on hand for you to eat during the day. So if you're going out and you're buying lunch, buy two. Buy two servings, and that's your 4 or your 4.30 run. That's that second meal. Then again, you get home and you're quite happy just having just a light, some fish and some salad. You'd be quite happy just having some soup, something that's light, put some nutrition in there, just enough to, to top the tanks up so you can get to bed without feeling ravenously hungry. But it's all about getting organized. You do have to plan this. Uh, and so many people go into their day with absolutely no clue how the day is going to unfold. With all our clients, we, we, we say to them, you have to map that out. Just as some people will log their food, you have to plan your food. You have to think ahead exactly the same as your work diary is. Now, you know, today's Friday. I know most people will say, well, I, I not, kind of know what my schedule is going to be from first thing Monday when I hit the desk running at work. Uh, your meal should be the same. You know, you should be able to say, okay, at work on Monday, I know exactly what I'm going to have for lunch. I know exactly what I'm going to have for 4.30. I'm going out to a client dinner on the Monday evening, so I know what restaurant that is. I've had a look at their menu. I know what choices I can make there. Uh, and, and, and everything is set in that frame and planned ahead. And then it's much, much more likely to work successfully for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what it seems as well in there, you know, the thought came to me for people who are, you know, maybe at work and their partner's, you know, cook, maybe cooking in the evening or, or the mm-hmm. they're cooking, as we do in our house, household, is actually you've got to you know, have a, be a team on this, haven't you? You've got to, because if uh, you know, someone's coming home, they're eating in the morning, eating in the afternoon, um, and, and then somebody else isn't really eating well during the day but has a huge meal at night, mm-hmm. um, you've got to kind of agree what's, um, agree your, your strategy between you, haven't you? You, you do. Everybody in the household has to be congruent in this. Uh, do you know what? In our experience, it will never, ever work if we have one member of the household who is trying to follow this healthier, uh, this healthier route, this healthier lifestyle, and the other uh, person is not. It's no good if you've been watching what you're eating. You're eating all the nutrient-dense foods, all the healthy foods. You come home at night, and your spouse is ordering pizza, or they've ordered in pies, or they're having you know, chicken nuggets or goujons, all this unhealthy food, which is you know, highly calorific, no, no nutrition in it, it's just going to undo everything you get. Or, or they're bringing home from work a cake of chocolate or a box of chocolates, and it's just going to be too difficult. You know? You're not going to be able to fight that. So everybody kind of has to be in agreement on board. And you do have to be, be aware that sometimes the people closest to you can turn against you as well. Particularly maybe if you're trying to lose weight and get in shape and your spouse isn't really following that plan but they're in the same shape as you are, uh, then as you get in better shape, the things you're doing are perceived to be good for you and you're getting in better shape. Therefore, the other person will feel threatened that they're not doing good things. In other words, they're, they're behaving badly and nobody likes to feel bad. So sometimes people closest to you, even your best friends, can turn against you and say things like, uh, do you know what, you're too obsessive about this. Or, you know, I think you've lost, you're looking great, but, you know, I think you've lost weight already. You start looking a bit gaunt, you know, starting to age you, all these sorts of things, which may not necessarily be true, 
but they're trying to encourage you to, to pull back and not make them look so bad. So that's why they said earlier, you, know, you can't have one foot on the platform and one on the train. You have to be committed. You have to be totally on board and the people around you need to be on board for that as well. Good, good point. We've only got a few minutes left now, so I sure. think um, we should maybe, well, let's very quickly just um, mention things like, you know, the situation you might find yourself in when you're going to friends for meals or you're going to, mm-hmm. going to a restaurant with work and, you know, also in, in that social environment, we can feel pressured to drink, which is, is adding calories. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. And this happens more and more the more social we get and we do have more leisure time on our sleeves, uh, up our sleeves rather. So we do tend to eat out, out a lot more and be entertained a lot more. Here's a real t- easy tip. If you're going out to dinner and you're eating late, like seven, uh, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the evening, have a small meal before you go. Even if you've had your 4 o'clock meal, you come home, have another small meal before you go. Because by the time you get to the restaurant and you order and a meal comes out, it's just you're just going to be far too hungry and you will overeat. So eat something before you go because if you're hungry, you will order food to satisfy that hunger. And it's the same, you know, the old rule, if you're going shopping for groceries, don't shop on an empty stomach because you'll end up buying things that you feel like eating at the time but may not necessarily be that great for you. So eat before you go out. Do your homework. I mentioned this earlier. You know, look up the restaurant that you're going to. Uh, if you're eating out, even if it's a client dinner, see what their options are in your head. Get used to what those options are and what you're going to order. Even if you have to ring the restaurant and ask the waiter or the, or the executive chef and say, listen, here's my meal requirements. What have you got that would suit? Sometimes it's also handy to take emergency rations so that if you go somewhere like a friend's place or something like that, you know, you can, you can pick up the meal and, and enjoy the meal and be conversational and social. You don't have to eat everything that's put on your plate. Um, but if you're feeling a little light, a little hungry, keep a couple of snack bars, like healthy snack bars in the glove box of your car. So on the way home, you've got something to eat uh, that's going to be healthy for you as well. And don't drink your calories. And swapping, swapping out for alcohol is actually pretty easy. An easy way to do is often we get asked to sort of social events where they're networking events. They put a glass of champagne in your hand uh, or something like that. So it's very easy just to go to the bar, get a little champagne glass, put an inch of apple juice in it, top it up with sparkling water, now you're walking around the function with something in a champagne glass that's got a bit of color and it's fizzy. Nobody asked, nobody noticed. So you could be drinking that all night and not taking on any alcohol and very, very uh, low amount of calories as well. Swap out for sparkling water. If there's a glass of wine on the table, have two sips of water to one sip of wine. Sometimes if you have a glass of wine on the table uh, and you only take a couple of sips and then leave it, uh, when people are to- going around topping up glasses, then they're, they're not going to worry that you're not drinking your, your glass full of wine. You know, you don't need to top up that spine, they'll move on. So there's lots of ways to make the fact that you're not drinking invisible uh, without making a fuss. And, and it is easy to do. You just have to think carefully through that situation and sometimes change the conversation around that as well. Tim, that's very, very wise. Uh, could you just, um, we've, we've only got a couple of minutes mm-hmm. to go now. So um, I wonder if you've got any, you know, sort of final messages and thoughts that you'd like to share with us. A- a- absolutely. Uh, and, and it would be this. Um, the binge strategies don't work. The, the short-term fad diets, the binge exercise routines, the New Year's sign up at the gym and go mad and three months later, you know, you, you're not going anymore. Those sorts of things are too short-term, they're too short-sighted, they don't work. What you have to start considering is... Um, uh, we said before, you know, you can't have a lean body and a fat head. You have to start thinking a different game and behaving a little bit differently. And what we talk about is little clicks. It's the little clicks that make a difference. And if you can imagine somebody at the Olympic Games who's a sharpshooter, if their aim is off, they can correct their aim just by little clicks on their telescopic side. It will make a minuscule difference 
at one meter, at 10 meters, at 100 meters, but at 1,000 meters, that could be the difference of 10, 15 inches. It's the little clicks you do today and consistently practice that will put your health in a different, better, more positive position in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years than the mad things that you do that are high intensity and totally focused, but at the end of it, they don't have longevity. And when you come to health and longevity, you have to think a longer game. You have to have the longer view. So it's the little clicks, the little things you do every day that will make the difference. Tim, we've got, we've got to go there. I'm, I think there's been some incredible value in what you've shared today. So thank you so much. Um, I'm, uh, I've, already, I've already ringed on my, bit in my notes, um, I am an athlete. So uh, mm-hmm. new kind of mindset, that's quite helpful. And taking lots of pointers myself on this. I'll be going back and, uh, and dissecting it. Uh, for well, benefit. That's, that's fantastic, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having us on the program. Uh, it's been uh, really exciting talking about these things as well. Very welcome. And to find out more about um, Tim, um, and go to www.thehardedge.com. And, and Tim, you've got um, a weight management program if anybody wants any help. And um, they go to the website there and there's a, and into your shop, I guess. Well, on the front page of the website, if you right. just scroll down a little bit, there's Weight Management 101. So that's a program that we've put together, which is an interactive video-based program. And if you click on that, there's some details on there. You can sign up for that. We've, we've got a, actually, we've set up a discount. You can get that for half price, for half price, just by entering in a code. Uh, if you think of the, of the word be more, achieve more, uh, then the code is BMAM2014, BMAM2014. When it comes to time to check out, enter that in the voucher code, you'll get that for half price. Fantastic. And I believe that's a very good value program as well. So thank you so much. And on next week's show, we have David Hall. David's going to talk about uh, creative thinking. And you know that some organizations um, have really taken the lead over you know, established traditional organizations and their thinking. And um, it's just interesting to think, how do um, people in those organizations come up with creativity and innovation and, and, and what are they doing differently uh, to uh, the kind of the rest of the world so if you want to learn about how to uh, be highly creative and the processes you can use to you know turn problems on their head and uh, create great solutions and next week's show is going to be um, really valuable once again a huge thank you to tim bean i think um uh, it's some great stuff there to help us all live um, a little bit longer and uh, and happier so Tim, once again, thanks very much and uh, wish you all a great week. Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your week.